Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Everyone and welcome to another episode of East Meets West here on Eat Sleep Suplex Retreats podcast feed. I am one of your usual hosts, Scott McLeod, and we're here to talk about uh, a whirlwind month of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Also, we went into May with a lot on our plate from stuff in the US to Satsuno no Kuni and Wrestling Dantaku, and we should by now have already been midway through Wrestle Grand Slam, but Apparently the world had other plans and things have really hit the fan, so to speak. So and we're going to go through all of that and a lot of some controversy that's happening and everything in between. Uh, like I said, I'm Scott McLeod and I'm joined by a man who is, I'm sure, sad that he didn't wasn't able to join us on our recent Best of Super Juniors feature show a couple of weeks ago because you know he what he, he didn't get to join in the discussion of talking about how great Hiromu Takahashi is. As my usual co-host, Grant McRobbie, how are you, Grant? I'm good, thanks, Scott, and it's it's lovely to be back. I've had a nice wee break. Missed the best of Super Juniors one, but well, I'm sure we'll have plenty more to talk about Hiromu in, in, in the future when things go back to normal. Um, but yeah, what a month it has been <laughs> for New Japan. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, also, some of the things that we're going to talk about towards the end of the podcast, when it comes to recent changes that have been made to New Japan, uh, you might have heard already discussed uh, on recently on an episode of ESSR Central by uh, our brother Ross McLeod and David Hockney. And you can catch episodes of Central every single Thursday on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat feed on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, everywhere you can get your podcasts, as, long as, as well as our feature shows, which are coming every Tuesday. We had the one on Best Super Juniors to keep up with the New Japan theme. We had one on AJ Styles, the former two-time IWGP heavyweight champion. And we've got one coming up soon talking about the best and worst Impact World Champions. We'll mention Impact a little bit later on. All sorts of feature shows out there and also in the back gallery you can listen to past episodes of this podcast as well as Saturday Draft Live every Saturday obviously. Yeah, you can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Retweet. Keep up with everything that we've got going on as well as joining our Facebook community page where you can maybe get involved in the Listener's League section of our draft and also there is the YouTube channel Eat uh, Sleep Super Retreat on YouTube, where we've got shows like The Conspiracy Theories, now hosted by Alan McLucas. Uh, we've got Daniel Campbell taking over a book it, which next month we'll see uh, some new matchups coming out from that series. And then in July, Quiz Showdown will return with myself in the hosting chair with Quiz Showdown 12 Beyond Thunderdome. All that is still to come, but we go back to uh, New Japan and we we start off with the uh, or on the Western side because. Or the last month's stuff uh, really been going on in terms of the US side and wrestlers showing up in different promotions over in the US. But we start off with New Japan Strong, where they have crowned the first ever Strong Openweight Champion. It was 
the final that we kind of knew was gonna we were gonna get with uh, Brody King taking on Tom Waller. Uh, Lawler, I always thought was the natural winner of that tournament, and uh, turned, I turned out to be right as after a very grueling final. I think we by far got the most time out of any matches in that tournament, and as it probably should have. Uh, Tom Waller comes away as the new strong openweight champion. Uh, Ryan, what were your thoughts on this match and uh, are you happy with the decision for Tom Waller to be the first champion? I thought it was a really fun match and yeah, we, we pretty much called this right from the get-go of the tournament. Um, Waller definitely deserves it. I, I, I was rooting for Brody King because I'm just a huge fan of him but I feel that they have done no wrong by having Tom Waller represent them. Um, on the big stage and it's going to set up some beautiful things going forwards I think mm-hmm. I mean Brody King is a really bruising and intimidating uh, wrestler but he could also kind of, he showed he could hold his own technically and we know the technical prowess of, of Tom Lawler with his, his history in MMA and all that but also he's a very proficient striker as well so very evenly matched, matched uh, showdown in the final, it was I got what I wanted uh, watching this match. Uh, Tom Waller constantly getting frustrated because he couldn't keep really down, it seemed, for a while. Uh, he said, setting up future matches, I knew that eventually Chris Dickinson versus Tom Waller was going to happen. But I didn't think it would happen so like soon afterwards because Waller's there alongside GR Kratos and Chris Dickinson. You know, they're holding, up his, they're holding his hand up. He's raising the trophy in the air and everything. And he's cutting his usual cocky like, heel promo basically daring anybody to step up and challenge him and Chris Dickinson basically just said you know what you don't have to look too far for your first challenger and I thought that was like very shocking that they first they uh, they went to Dickinson so quickly and then also the following week they had a big like team filthy like involved in a multi-man match you had Waller, Kratos, Dickinson and uh, Danny Limelight and then, uh, the conclusion of the match, Dickinson was kicked out of the group officially. Uh, and I believe this Friday, uh, Friday this week is when the match has happened. So we're recording this before the match has happened. But you'll have heard, you'll be hearing this after the match has happened. Given it's his first defence, I imagine Lawler will come away the champion. But do you feel they've rushed into this feud with Dickinson? I think there's, you, you could definitely say they've rushed it, but. I love I love the shock factor of it that it just came straight in out of nowhere. Um, it's definitely to me it's going to be used as a, a way to cement Lawler's place at the top in New Japan strong at the moment. Uh, yeah, it's it's it did surprise me. I thought we would have maybe got like at least you know a week or two of strong before they'd kind of named a new challenger. So interesting. Yeah, I would have thought maybe somebody who was on the opposite end of the the bracket from Lawler would have came out. Like or maybe Fred Rosser would have came out because you know he went out to take the Leo, uh, and, so he, and so we thought it was going to be him v Rosser v Lawler, and the the semi-finals, but that didn't turn out to be the case. But yeah, they went right into it. But I think what's good about that and the fact that Rosser and Hickleio continued their feud, you know, they had a, a no disqualification match, and the most recent episode of Strong last week. So what um, I said before uh, when the titles announced is that it would lead to more stories. Uh, happening in New Japan Strong and it's, that seems to be the case and that seems to be what's happened which can only be a benefit it would actually make it more, more likely to tune in because now I only tune into before that I would only tune into episodes of Strong if there was actually a matchup that I really wanted to see other than that I wouldn't really 
make it a priority. Uh, who, after Dickinson, who do you want to see step up to challenge Stonewall? Uh, uh, to me, I, I honestly love the idea of if they can get him back in again, Leo Rush or mm. or even getting ELP in for a, a challenger to kind of open, like using that open weight stipulation to allow him to go anywhere with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can really provide that kind of unique cell match with the, the open weight stipulation to it. You know, we've seen it with the Never title, that is also an open weight belt. You know, you've got Shingo v. Likes of Desperado or Show, you know, matchups you wouldn't have seen uh, without that open weight stipulation. You know, we've already had Leo Ross taking on Brody King in the tournament. He had a real clash of steel when Lawler fought Hikaleo in the semi finals of the New Japan Cup USA. So, yeah, I, there's all the possibilities there. I, I wouldn't say no to a, a rematch with Brody King. Uh, I think Fred Roster, I think now that he's got a bit more momentum after he beat Hikaleo, I have a feeling he'll come out maybe challenge. Uh, He'll challenge him to a match for the title afterwards. I'd like to see Rocky Romero maybe try and put his hat in the ring for a title match because you know he's been popping up on AEW uh, Dark Elevation. He had a match with uh, JD Drake recently. Uh, so you know, I know he's kind of running about the US right now, and he's popped up on Strong before. So you know, the more unique the match, the more intrigued I'll be to tune in. He's strong, but I said about like tune in. He's strong when they were like marquee matches being announced. One that was certainly seen marquee was when uh, they announced Chris Dickinson and John Moxley were going to team up to take on uh, Ren Narita and Eugene Nagata on episode strong, which set up for the following week where on AEW Dynamite uh, Eugene Nagata was going to take on Moxley and finally had that US title match that we've been teasing a few weeks previous. Uh, I think it was another sign of this whole Forbidden Door thing truly being kicked down when they say Oh, by the way, the IWG, an IWGP title is going to be defended on AEW Dynamite. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the fact that the, the Forbidden Door properly opening Moxley and Nagata for US title on Dynamite, which was just two lads battering the living hell out of each other. That was something of beauty. And I mean, you mentioned Narita there. He's had his little show on AEW Dark Elevation, picking up a win. Rocky mm. Romero's been on AEW. I, I really think this is turning into a beautiful time for like fans of this kind of style of wrestling mm-hmm. yeah and because it was weird like he's been champion since like for the majority of time he's been part of a uh, majority of time he's aw's been a thing that's how long john Mox has been iwgp us champion but like they've never really acknowledged it they were probably acknowledged i think they mentioned always oh, he's over wrestling in japan or like because I think it was when he got that injury that kept him out of the first uh, all-out pay-per-view. It was the injury he picked up while wrestling in the G1, I think, uh, where he picked up the injury. But they never really acknowledged him as a new IWGP US champion. Or they never let him come out before this uh, show with the belt. Because uh, I think there was even a thing where the only reason he was in the B block of the G1 is because that would mean he wasn't wrestling that US show. Because you know that would be against his AEW commitment. And... But, you know, it was a unique match. It got me excited to, to see it. Uh, and I did love, you know, you, had, you only had uh, Excalibur, obviously, he's very knowledgeable about the wider world of wrestling, talking about the accomplishments of Eugene Nagata. But then you mentioned Tony, Tony Schiavone as giving you all, like, the background of when he used to wrestle on WCW back in the day and stuff like that. So, and, like, well, it's his first time on TNT in however many years. 
so you know, it probably felt like a big match. And also it felt special that they they kicked off that episode of Dynamite with the that match because the they had a fair few title matches on that show, so it made it feel like a, a pay per view level show. Yeah, standout match and a standout show, and I like the fact that they, it showed the properly the Japan the Japan style of wrestling compared to the other title matches for AEW that night. Everything felt fresh and just whatever's happened in the recent year that's kind of helped open this door between the promotions. I hope it continues because it's been I'm I'm loving it. You just never know what's going to happen. I, I'm the same. I I very much agree with you in that. Uh, he had Moxley come out to Wild Thing. It was a tribute to Onita, who uh, we were seen in the you know the video package taking up the exploding barbed wire death match. But I think there was a thing where he came out to the wrong version, and then the following week he came out to the version that uh, Onita used to come out to. And I remember Simpsons Wrestling Means kind of parodied that with uh, the two versions of Wild Thing uh, over that scene where Mr. Burns is outside the Simpsons house in the tank. He's playing Rider of the Valkyries, and then it changes to Waterloo. And it's got like Tony Khan's face over some other thing. Sorry, sir, I must have taped over that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, that was brilliant. The Simpsons memes for that being absolutely outstanding. But like, as briefly pointed out, I think it was Matthew from watching, I briefly pointed out, like, what a flight from Tony Khan. Not only that, the fact that he's like that rich, he's saying, like, oh, can we get the rights to use this random song on our, like, our show on TNT? But the fact that he can go from like getting one version of the song and then just within a week. You know, he has the money to say, actually, can we have this version of the song? Yeah, I mean, that's it. He's, he's not, he's not like hesitant about flexing the cash and showing it off for it. Yeah. Uh, the match itself, I uh, only got about 10, 12 minutes. You know, what's, what's good about whenever somebody from New Japan shows up in a AEW or an Impact, as we're going to talk about in a minute, like their matches automatically go up to New Japan World and you can watch it on its own rather if you don't want to watch the full show. And so I, I didn't have a chance to actually watch that full episode of Dynamite, but I did get a chance to watch uh, the match with Nigga. And at first I thought, like, oh, it's a bit kind of slow, because it felt like, you know, as they were in a New Japan ring, if they were on episode of Strong or if they were on a bigger show in Japan, they probably would have got more time. But, you know, at first I thought it was a bit, you know, they felt like they were kind of restricted by, you know, we only got a limited amount of time because it's live and we've got all these other things that we want to get to. But, you know, as the match went on, you know, I, I got more and more into it. I did feel that the Death Rider came out of nowhere in the finish, but, you know, again, it was a different style from everything else you were going to see on that show. I did like kind of the show of respect from, from John Moxley to Nigga afterwards. Yeah, beautiful sign of respect. They, they did start getting properly physical, and I love that Moxley kind of seems to have a thing for the legends in New Japan. And I also had one of my fa- favourite backstage photos afterwards when the two of them were enjoying a beer afterwards. Proper respect. Yeah. It didn't really start there with the Forbidden Door because, you know, we already knew Finjus were the, the Impact Tag Team Champions, but also showing up in Impact, uh, ELP, Emmy's appearance in Impact, he made a, he a handful of matches, uh, including earning a shot at the X Division Championship against the current champion, Josh Alexander. Unfortunately, I've heard nothing but good things about the match, but I haven't had a chance to watch it. But it's still a big deal that on an Impact Plus special, you know, a New Japan star was challenging for the X Division title on the same show where uh, you had the two New Japan stars as the Impact Tag Champs teaming with, you know, an Impact mainstay in, in Eddie Edwards against bloody the Good Brothers and Kenny Omega. 
So pretty much then Trevor Moses kind of dream match there with the main event. Yeah, I mean that's it. Impact's been used as a kind of a really good springboard in between between AEW and New Japan, and I think that it's I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it comes down to Tony Khan, if it's coming from New Japan, or if it's the Don Callis effect. But something's clearly working in the background to make all the magic happen, and it, yeah, like Finn just yeah, ELP and Josh Alexander, fantastic match, totally worth watching. Yeah, I remember when I when I saw that. Uh, EOP would take him in. I was excited because you know he's one of my favourite heels at the moment, and like my friend Paul, who his main thing, like he's not really, he's not very interested in the current WWE product for a while. Like other outside of like certain guys he likes, like uh, Drew McIntyre or the Fiend or people like that, but he, he's all in on like Impact, and uh, I was like hyping up ELP to him, and then a couple weeks later I managed to get to see him for the first time in person, in a while and. I was talking to him a bit, but it was before Under Siege, and he was talking like, man, I love that El Fantasmo. So, you know, it's interesting guys like coming to a whole new audience to me. We don't watch New Japan. And it looks like, I don't know what's going to happen with Finjus going forward, because I think they may just be may going back to Japan uh, when they're able to, because recently they, uh, and some other for people who haven't seen it, they recently dropped the Impact Tag titles because uh, they defended them against Asos and Madman Fulton on the post-Under Siege Impact, but following that you had Rhino coming out alongside the heel stable Violent by Design, and Rhino had his Call Your Shot trophy where he can challenge for any title any time, and uh, now Rhino alongside Joe Doring, a big six, six foot plus, you know, beast there, man, uh, are now the tag team champions, so do you think that means uh, once they're able to travel over, uh, Finn just whip right back over to Japan? I reckon it's on the cards. I reckon Finjus will be will be heading back to Japan. Um, how soon? I don't know. There's tons of rumours going about about the, the foreign talent being unhappy with the whole quarantine time and procedures because of how much time that takes out of their lives. So I'm hoping things do kind of step up a bit soon. Um, as we are having that knock-on effect at the moment in the, the world of New Japan, but which has made me very focused on the US stuff lately. Yeah, because uh, like, they set up a big match for Finlay when he goes back over. But then you have like his dad, Finlay, uh, appeared on a podcast claiming that you know his son was considering looking elsewhere and hinting that he's, he might go to WWE. Because you know, he, like many of the other like, guardians, are currently a bit you know, frustrated with New Japan over the, the changes schedule-wise and what that means for them travelling and having to quarantine coming in and out of Japan. So... It's an interesting situation that's going on there, you know. Uh, I don't know if Finlay left, that, that that means that Juice would leave, but I think if, if New Japan at the stage lost both members of Finn Juice, I think they would, people of people wouldn't realise just how big a blow that might actually be to them. Yeah, it's like Finn Juice is a very key, like New Japan's tag divisions have, to an extent, had a bit of suffering, um, but Finn Juice have been a very, very solid promising like sort of cornerstone of the division and I would hate to see them go um, something else would, just, would maybe try and avoid WWE but we don't know, stranger things have happened mm. stranger things have indeed happened but that's what's going on in the US you know like people get guys crossing over, I'm looking forward to seeing who comes to the next, you know we've got Kojima uh, coming to Impact very soon uh, 
and also as part of the you know the tease for Slammiversary, you know, saying oh, our world is about to change again. They've teased also the likes of Okada, Naito, the Great Muta showing up. Then they also flashed up very briefly a Bullet Club logo on uh, the release that advert for for Slammiversary. So I'm interested to see if the any fairly members of Bullet Club does that mean Girls of Destiny, maybe Jay White. Some of that, if it's possible to come over, I wonder if that's just maybe a red hair because they've had they already had a Bullet Club member show up in uh, in El Fantasmo. Although I'd love them to swerve us and say, no, that was Dean Kojima. That's not a Bullet Club logo. That's a Bread Club logo. <laughs> I think for me, it would have been. I would love it to be God because God have been throwing shade at the Good Brothers for quite some time now. Um, We've talked about the potential dream match before the triple threat involving the Bucks as well. What better place to kind of set a middle ground? Get everyone an impact. Make it happen. Yeah. I mean, Okada, when they first like, teased like, some New Japan people showing up and they first started running the, this tease for some anniversary, Okada was definitely somebody I'd, I really wanted to see given what happened last time he was there. But then again, like when we're talking about later on, it looks like he among several others that are currently dealing with COVID and then you know, I think once he's like, recovered and everything and he finishes quarantine uh, when he'll be right back into the mix of things and especially given that he was maybe challenging for the world title right before he, he got diagnosed so I wouldn't I count on seeing him just yet in Japan but yeah I think someone like a G.O.D. is, is more likely but we head on to wrestling Satsuno no Kuni uh, which happened two days right bang in the middle of the the uh, the wrestling Dontaku tour, you know, because you had Road Two on the twenty sixth, twenty eighth, and twenty ninth. You had Nokuni, and then you had a couple more days of Road Two Dontaku, and then May the third and May the fourth, you had uh, wrestling Dontaku itself. Uh, a lot of the the matches on the undercard, I think it's fair to say, for these shows, were very similar to you know. Uh, the road to the road to shows in that it was very much similar tag matches with similar combinations of different people like on the heel face side, but on each night you had two like top other card matches uh, that were taking more priority. And on the first night, the semi main event was Yano uh, holding on to the KOPW twenty twenty one provisional trophy over Evil and a like, Lord of Darkness kind of match where. The reason you could only beat somebody if they had uh, the blindfold on, and like you can only pin them if they had the blindfold on, or like you only beat them by count out with the blindfold on. Because like Yano was going to be counted out, and then he took his blindfold off, and the referee stopped. Uh, so a really weird one to wrap your head around. But Yano does come out the winner. You had Evil had spray painted his trophy, so you had Yano grab it, and then he magically cleaned the the paint off of the trophy at the end. Was this a hard one for you to follow? It was a really weird one. Like um, I felt like out of all the stipulations they've used for Yano's matches, this one they really had to reach in the bag for. And uh, I don't know if you ever saw the reaction on Twitter, but um, you, you'd have thought Triple H was involved with how buried Evil seems to be. And I'm really quite disappointed to see how far down the, like, the card he's went and how far down in everything since he'd done the betrayal with the Bullet Club. It's like he's lost all momentum. Yeah, I think... Uh him being put in the position where he did have that brief reign as, as the double champion was like put in not only because as we 
we had, we've had the rumours that Osprey was maybe in that position, but also because I don't think anybody would have foreseen him getting that kind of push. So, yeah, I think after the initial shot factor is worn off, like, it's really hard to see. He's not even the most important person really at the minute, and Bullock will just be, you know, constantly, you know, having, having Dick Togo by his side, you know, he's always getting involved. Part of me really would have liked to actually seen him get involved in the KOVW scene more often, like, you know, have him win the state, the trophy, just so, you know, we can have these matches like, oh, it's legal for Dick Togo to get involved or whatever, you know, what kind of that would have had. But if you're, what you're saying, you know, with the negative reaction to him online, I think, if anything, if Evil did win, it would have actually had a, a poor knock-on effect to the KOVW, I think it would have caused some fans to lose interest in it entirely. Yeah, that's it. It's it's like like yeah, I know having the KOPW trophy is really fun, and to me, it always gives some exciting matches. But this to me was probably the lowest match of the KOPW matches have been since it was brought in. Um, hopefully, it can bounce back up again. We shall see, and hopefully, Evil can get. I, I honestly, just get rid of Dick Togo, or just have it be less of the same formula of oh, I'm going to choke you, oh, I'm going to punch you in the buzz, <laughs> ah, magic. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and leave poor Abby San alone. Leave the man. It's just it's just a poor timekeeper. He just wants to sit there, his wee table, and not be bothered by anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get what exactly what you mean uh, with that, and it is a shame because like this is the highest up a card that the KOPW, you know, I think has really been. You know, I know it may have entered a road two show before, but I know it was in Corgan Hall, but it was a road two show where this. Was seeming to be separate from Nontaku entirely. This is like these two nights were kind of their own thing. This is like the highest it's probably been in terms of positioning for the KOPW 2021. But like you said, it's probably going to be one of the more forgettable matches or the matches some people would kind of like to forget that they've had so far. Yeah, that's uh, it's. Don't get me wrong, we've seen much, much worse matches. Zombie Lumberjack match WWE, but you know. Uh, uh, totally, but you know, it was good that we end. We managed to close the night on a more positive note. You know, we had the junior heavyweight tag team titles taking center stage with showing you over Fongi 3K uh, once again defeating Desperado and Karamaru. Uh, and I actually got, I think, more time than their previous match, but I was still not entirely sure that Fongi 3K were going to win because I know they just like won the belts, but. You know, recently, well, even though Death Bradle and Camaro had a, a decent reign to end 2020 going into 2021, uh, since then the belts have really flip-flopped because it went to you know, EOP and Ishimori, then went back to Death Bradle and Kanemaru, then back to Rapongi 3K. So, you know, you, can, you know, the last few months, you know, they've been very similar to the, the taking the place of the never six-man titles in terms of, you know, belts that keep switching back and forth. But, you know... Uh, Uponki 3K won, which was probably the right decision, and it helped then further, unfortunately, a match that we didn't end up getting in, uh, in, show, in, in Yo versus Desperado. I'm still absolutely heartbroken that I did not get that match. I was so looking forward to watching that match between between Yo and Desperado because Yo, for a man that has been out of the ring for a year, has looked at the best I've ever seen him. I was so, so gutted. It got cancelled. Hmm. Then, like, as the rotating Grand Slam is back on, 
there's no unfortunately no like real confirmation as to when the actual stadium shows are going to go ahead if they are even going to go ahead uh, well, you can see in the Tokyo and the Tokyo Dome still on their website listed as the same date but with no real matching in so I'm assuming that's just a case of they've, not, they've just not had a chance to change it yet because I doubt they'd go right back into the Tokyo Dome after everything that's happened and the people have come in and said that they, they are suffering from COVID so if anything that means that hopefully that match will be on one of those stadium shows and it'll get a bigger you know showcase but you know it is nice to see that it'll even I think it's just proven that even I think it's proven that with the US title now being defended in the US more often than not. Uh with these shows I know there'd be no intercontinental title that, you know, the junior tag and heavyweight belts, heavyweight singles belts can main event shows and, you know, deliver in a main event, you know, environment. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Like the the juniors in the last year and a half have proven more than enough that they can bring in as many eyes and as many people's attention as the heavyweights. Give them more main events. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Unfortunately, obviously, that didn't the match. We didn't get that match at Dontaku, but second night of Satsuki no Kuni again, the car was very similar. You know, much change. Uh, the two top matches were uh, tag team matches. We had Naito and Sanat, Naito and Shingo taking on you know, Osprey and the Great Okan. Because obviously, the, the story really of the Dontaku tour, as I've put in the notes here. LIG versus the United Empire, the never-ending story. Because <laughs> I mentioned on the Best of Super Junior show that if I, had, I got to a point where, like, I'm pretty sure there were a few shows where I, I think this first night of Dontaku on May 3rd, there was a, a tag match, a six-man tag with the Empire versus LIG, and I'm pretty sure I skipped it. Because I'm like, I'd seen one of the Road 2 shows where they had the singles matches, I'd seen Suno no Kuni where they had the multi-man matches, I'd seen them on the Road 2 and I got to the actual Dontaku night one itself, and like, LIG versus the Empire. I'm like, no, I can't see this again. No more. <laughs> I mean, just give, give me a me bloody break. Osprey, get them in singles matches. I'll watch these in singles matches all day. Just please, no more tag matches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, feel, it felt like compared to other tours, it did feel like there wasn't as much variety, and you were starting to get to the point where, I'm pretty sure I've seen this. This is like Cena v Zorton 395. Yeah, because like, Os- uh, don't know Osprey, uh, Okada took much of uh, the tour kind of off, uh, I think because he was still recovering from an injury. Uh, Jay White was off for quite a few of the, the Road 2 shows, even though he was in like one of the featured matches on night one. But then uh, he came back uh, towards the end of the tour, and he was on night two in a six-man tag after their big uh, never-went title match. But, you know... Uh, one of the, the match was the tag match was good, but the main story I think for night two is the, the mainly because it was something different for the Empire because it was actually Jeff Cobb and Aaron Hanari uh, going up against the Golden Aces of uh, Tanahashi and Ibushi. You know, stemmed from the fact that that Cobb attacked Ibushi after he lost to Osprey, and also they mentioned the history between Hanari and Tanahashi, which. It was weird that they didn't, I thought, oh, no, I actually forgot about it at first. Uh, they seem to be focusing on Hanari versus Sanada, because Sanada got a win over Hanari in a, a singles match on one of the Road 2 shows, and uh, then he got another win over him in a tag match, which Hanari is, is very angry about. I think when that's done, they could actually you know, put Hanari in a singles program against uh, Tanahashi. 
I think it would actually be quite credible. Um, like Hanari, since he went to the Empire, has taken on a whole new. He, he looks better. His wrestling just seems to have improved. Um, he's really got the kind of like I am a dickhead. Um, part of the dickhead union, he'll maneuver down perfectly. So, yeah, like g- give him and Tanahashi have that sort of credible feud, which doesn't need a belt. Go for it. Yeah, because like, not saying that as he's like position now, he should constantly be losing to people, you know. But he is in a position where he should help be helping, you know, elevate people. I mean, he didn't really he didn't really do much for the Great Okan uh, when he lost twice to Tanahashi. But then again, I'm not really the biggest fan of Okan. But you know, if he put over Hanari in a singles match, like say the two like squared off on the same block of the G1, I think that could be very interesting because. You know, they had them team together in the, the the World Tag League, and I think we could both agree that at the time they were the they were the very bottom rung of importance in terms of like you know teams in that. I mean, you know, they lost to Bally and Chase Owens, so I think that showed you know we weren't that much further above them. So it showed them you know they were not important as a team. So they got that story there where you know we try to you know, do things alongside Ten Ash, alongside the Ace, but it didn't get him anywhere. But now he's teamed with. Now he's team with the Empire, and you know, he's in main events and big main event tag matches. But uh, the match uh, was won by Bushi and Tanashi, and Bushi immediately challenges Jeff Cobb to a singles match uh, at some point, which I'm assuming will happen on one of the Grand Slam shows. Maybe it could be a main event, you never know. Uh, but you know, I'm very interested to see that match because you know, we got to see them in the G1 last year. It was a, a great match, a great clash of styles. Jeff Cobb's even stolen the Kamagoye and called it the Kobagoye. Oh, yeah, like uh, Cobb's Kobagoye, I think, actually looks more brutal than Ibushi's Kamagoye. I'm pretty sure he's. I, I don't even know if Ibushi's still alive at this point in time after the most recent one they took. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? But Satsuna no Kine wasn't really the most like newsworthy show. Like, I thought it was very, I was very confused. I know, like, Ibushi and Tanashi are maybe considered bigger stars, but, like, that they had, like, two, you know, title matches at the start and the final two matches of uh, night one, and then you just, like, did all tag matches for night two. It was kind of similar to, you know, the weird way they did Castle Attack with all those singles matches on one night and then the title matches on the other night. Yeah, it's... it's when I look back at it, Satsumi, you know, kinda, I, I, I kind of look and go, was it really, really needed? Could they have just... It kind of, to me, felt like they were doing glorified Road 2 shows under a different name, and I think they wanted to differentiate the name just because they had the title matches, but it kind of felt like almost like having a mini pay-per-view before the main pay-per-view, but I already have a pay-per-view, so let's add some pay-per-view to your pay-per-view. Yeah, because like, you could have just, like... Took those two nights and and had that under you know road to Dontaku, and nothing really would have changed all that much. I know you want Cobb and obviously have their showcase, but you know maybe have that on the road too. Maybe break up the monotony of constantly Empire versus Lig, because you know it gets boring after a while. You're you know it's actually when you see these matches a certain number of times. I think it, for me it works against. My excitement for them, I just got to a point like I just want to see Osprey fight Shingo. 
and I want that, and I want to be done with this whole Empire thing, and that's one of the benefits of the weird changes to like Wrestle Grand Slam Tour, because I've not really been keen up with the Road 2 shows uh, for Grand Sl- Wrestle Grand Slam. But I think because some people have been taken off, it's at least freshened the matches up a little bit, some very unique, you know, matchups that, you know, we've seen before, but it's, it feels like it's been a while since we have seen them. Yeah, definitely. I think, like, the, kind of like the Road to Wrestle Grand Slams had some... They, they've been forced to make changes. Like, I've, I've been loving um, Yota Suji getting his little run of singles matches against different people each night. I think, I think he's about ready to go on an excursion. Yeah, I think so. You know, like I think I'm pretty sure one night he got a chance to fight Shingo. So, you know, I mean, it's not really much of a reward for a young Lionel here. He's a guy who's annoyed that he didn't win the world title, and also he's got one of the hardest clotheslines in the promotion. So, you know, good luck with that, son. Uh, basically, thrown him to the Lions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, at least it's freshened up a little bit. Uh, we did get to see Hanari in a proper like, singles match, as I said, you know, fighting Sonada. Uh, but Sonada comes out with the win, which I think he needed. And uh, Naito in the main event managed to vanquish Great Okan. Uh, so Naito gets his win back from the New Japan Cup. I think they hinted that maybe this is an opportunity. Again, maybe that will be a match at uh, either Grand Slam or in the G1. Between those two. I mean... I kind of would have rather Hanari v Sonata main event because, you know, they got more time uh, because, you know, Naito v Okan got more time than it did before. But, you know, I'm not really a fan of watching Okan in, in long matches. So that kind of worked against my enjoyment of it. And also, it's kind of the thing between the two is starting to become more comical because, you know, Naito's insistence on walking, Naito, on walking Okan around the ring by his ponytail. Aye, that's it. It's, there's definitely some questionable placements on the cards and stuff like that lately. Um, but hopefully now is the time to kind of reshape, restructure and make it work. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. But, you know, fair and Denari getting a feature match against, you know, Sanada, you know, on a, even even if it is on a road too, so it's still showing, you know, at least in Kayfabe that, you know, it's a, he's benefited from being part of the United Empire. You know, we'll see where he goes. But we got to Dantaku itself and, you know, we had a very interesting, you know, first night. You know, it's before all the, the changes in the world rent of stuff happened. And the second half is where things really got interesting because we had first Zack Sabre Jr. taking on Tangaloa with, you know, the prospect of Dangerous Tigers ever getting a tie team title shot again. You know, being on the line, and that's if you managed to, you know, come out the winner in that one. I think once they up the stakes, not just oh, you can't challenge for the titles, you can't ever challenge for the titles. I think you know that's very Western kind of way of doing it. You know, Kelly, how the Young Bucks said they would never challenge for the W tie titles if they didn't beat FTR at full gear, and we all know, oh look, they're going to probably beat FTR, and they did. <laughs> but but it's those ESG one, you know, it's still a. A different kind of match between the two because you know, a uh, Tangle is more the powerhouse rather than the you know the technical wizard that as actually Virginia is. But my attention and uh, amongst this feud was for the follow-up match, which was the ladder match for custody of the Iron Fingers, where they didn't just hang the fingers from the the ceiling; they put it in a weird plastic case and they hung the case from the ceiling. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it was such a, such a weird stipulation and kind of like between like a weird stipulation that match and just before I mentioned about that match, there is one thing I want to say about ZSJ quickly as well. The fact that he has now added a new manoeuvre to his arsenal and that finishing move is called Barry from EastEnders. <laughs> I could not believe my eyes when I saw that pop up when I was looking at one of the results from one of the Road 2 shows and I went, wins with Barry from EastEnders? <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is more than any centers thing. I think it's more a an extras reference because you know the guy Sean who actor Sean who plays Barry and EastEnders is in there is in that show and Steve Merchant's character in it represents him and Ricky Gervais's character, but for some reason keeps calling him Barry rather than his actual name. <laughs> but like it's one of those things if you only just really think Zack Sabre Junior can't get more English. He comes in and does this because the Japanese probably aren't going to get the references he's making, so he can do it. He can call every move that he has after a different, you know, British TV show. Like I've got a new submission move. What's it called? The Top Gear. <laughs> you know, like that's probably why nobody thought anything of you know not uh, Osprey having moves like cheeky handles or we used to call that flying elbow no pip pip cheerio. Oh, it's, it's absolute. Absolute genius! All the, all the mad names ZSJ comes up with, and I'm looking forward to seeing what else he adds. Uh, the top year, I think, it's a grand, an absolute grand shout. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing if he like he had like another finishing move, and it was like something like the bloody the dot from EastEnders or something like that. <laughs> you know, just keep keep the keep the theme going. You mean? But... <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a movie there called the the Argentine Backbreaker. Call that the Top Gear because I'm pretty sure that would fit. Because I'm pretty sure uh, the guys from Top the original Top Gear went to Argentina and they got chased out for it. So. You know, yes, it, it, did. <laughs> keep it all linked together, you know. Uh, I'm, I, honestly, to see that, or he's going to name something the Boris Bloody Johnson. <laughs> just, you just you just have the paley kit that he does with a sitting down, just call it fuck the Tories. Just ah, fuck the Tories. <laughs> I, I would call for that one. That that would be an absolute beautiful move. <laughs> <laughs> he just imagines he's kicking Boris Johnson or whoever in the Tory party in the face. It's like you could just rename the the PK that. It's like, right, um, what's the Zuki keep calling it the PK when he does it? But Zach, when you do it, put a little bit of extra venom out, shout, fuck the Tories as you kick them straight in the heart. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I was a wrestler, I would do what Sanai does with the Paradise Lot, but when I do the kick in the arse, I'd call it the, the Bishop Brennan drop kick. <laughs> <laughs> Did he kick me in the arse again? <laughs> You get the you get rolling and you look at the referee. He did kick me up the arse. <laughs> oh, is it? There's so much fun you could have with ZSJ just by the fact that he is willing to like go through these different, different ruler ridiculous names and keep them with British references. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm digressing from the uh, yeah, the I forgot iron, what we were talking about <laughs> the iron the iron fingers match kept yeah. in their in their plastic case because you never know they might break out and do some damage like a wild animal. Yeah, I know all the the concern around the iron uh, like it's not really possessed, you know. It's not like a fucking Chucky doll that you got you keep enclosed. But I, I did think there was there's quite a bit of excitement because not, I know it was kind of a silly thing to be fighting over. The guys have made it work, and it's a case of you know it's only the second ever ladder match in New Japan history, and they very much set this apart from Elgin versus uh, Omega because you know they're that was very much spot heavy, whereas this was just a case of these two guys were just trying to hurt each other in this match. 
you had, you know, I think Doki got uh, sentenced to a ladder at one point. You guys, you had guys getting flying to the outside to not as many of these sorts of people getting uh, pushed off ladders and flying to the outside as you would see in a more Western environment. But the few times you do do it in this kind of match in New Japan, it still gets that reaction because, like, they're not probably not used to it, you know. Surprise! The fans didn't you know accidentally break you no know, COVID rules and you know make a little bit of noise because you know if they were able to, they would. Yeah, that's it. It was such a weird. I think I think we talked about it before. The thing the most daft thing about the stipulation is it didn't really matter who won the Iron Fingers. Did the bloody give them up anyway? What was the point in that? Yeah, I didn't. I, don't, I didn't know that was a part of it at first because you know I, I thought like okay, it'll be Iron Girls and then maybe then they'll try and incorporate in the finish of like when they eventually get the tag title match, but. Maybe don't end it in a disqualification this time, and then they said like the next night I think like all oh, they threw away like all oh, they've encased in cement so nobody will be possessed by it again. Like, so the fuck did you want it back for? <laughs> I, I did like the fact that they played Azuka's music as a kind of a nice wee tribute to him after him being retired and retired in the Iron Fingers. But honestly, it's like we've encased him in cement. I'm just half expecting one day that like in some stupid angle the lights will. Just go down, and when they reappear in a little spotlight, will be the Iron Fingers and Tai Chi freaking the fuck out, going, "Where the fuck did they come from? I thought they were buried underground. What the hell is going on? Zach, save me!" <laughs> He's gonna relapse at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, they only they had like one or two ladders in this match, and they weren't even like that huge, which again sets apart from a more West style ladder match. And you know it makes it a little bit different, and you know the ladder match, the ladders look like kind of regular, you know, ladders they might have had around, and it fits in with what they've said before, like whenever somebody pulls out a table or a chair, and a New Japan match, you know, they say well, they keep extra chairs and tables, not for the commentary team in case we need a spare or something like that. Yeah, that's it. They, they've done a nice job of like making it work. So I think the last ladder match was Omega and Elgin for the IC belt. If I remember right, it's it's such a long gap between them, and it is nice like that Japan doesn't really go to these stipulations every so often because well I do like a good ladder match when they're done right and everything. I prefer Japan for just being that pure wrestling style. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I think we're getting a different style from depending on who was involved. You know, again more spot heavy in the Elgin match. You know, plus you had members of like Bullet Club getting involved in that. But then again, but this was more slightly more shenanigan heavy. It was played. They had some spots that were more entertaining because of the fact they're wrestling over a fucking glove at the end of the day, uh, and it kept this this feud going. You know, I, I thought you know I knew Zack was going to win his match, but I figured Tama would win uh, this one. But you know, uh, both members of Dangerous Tickers get the win, although I still believe that uh, God will hold on to the, the IWGP titles uh, for a while longer when that match inevitably does come around. But then we had the a, to- a completely tonal shift where he got then a bit more serious when he had Jay White taking on Tanahashi in the main event for the Never Open Weight title. Uh, they mentioned that going into it, this was their seventh meeting and the score was 4-2 to Jay White. And I think Jay's most recent like singles like win was against uh, in the New Japan Cup, which was why he was asking for this match. And they said how this is the show, Wrestling Dantaku, was where in 2013 Bullet Club uh, was first formed and how fitting it would be for a Bullet Club member to win a major title uh, to close out the night. And it was a hell of a match. I thought, you know, they went 
I did think it was weird it was more submission based. Uh, you know, Jay saying, I'm going to tap you, you're going to lose your title. But then he won with the Blade Runner in the end. And it wasn't a case of like his legs gave out because he's been worked on. It was just he was a bit slower at my counter. And Jay caught him with the Blade Runner kind of out of nowhere, which is the beauty of that kind of move. But part of me thinks with the whole way they, they were setting this up, you know, with him naming a move, the Tanashi tap out. And then Tanashi only gave him a match after he made Jay tap out with the. the uh, Cloverleaf. I was surprised the match didn't actually end via submission. Yeah, it was. A, that was like quite a big surprise. The fact that it did go down the way it done, and what really also set this one apart from most open weight title matches also was the length. I mean, they went for a full thirty nine minutes. Most mm. open weight title matches are like usually fifteen to twenty minute fast bangers. Not that this wasn't a banger. I absolutely loved this match. It was incredible. It was just different compared to but I'm thinking this is them trying to cement the open weight belt as an important belt because it's kind of filling the void where we used to have our IC belt really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think the style of uh, open weight title matches is probably going to depend on whoever the champion is like going into the match because you know like these kind of fast bangers you kind of used to with someone like a, a Shingo or uh, Ishii is the champion. But it might be different when someone like a Tanahashi or like even now that Jay White's the champion. So I think the style will vary depending on who the champion is going into it. But yeah, I do think that's a, a fair statement that's probably going to take that place. You know, that they got into the main event. Now, the fact, now they're doing the uh, the video that they, they do for like, they've done for like the world title and things like that with showing the past like never open weight champions. And you know, they've got a fair few to choose from. Because I think Jay White's now what the thirty something odd, thirty like third, like never open weight champion. Uh, but you know the amount of times that title's changed since, and you know I, I do like even though it didn't finish by submission, they did you know, have that moment where they had you know Jay tap out, but to the Cloverleaf, but Tanashi didn't realize that the referee was distracted uh, with Gado. And um, you know, Gato gets the Dragon School leg, but to you know, take him out. But inevitably, Jay manages to take advantage and hit the Blade Runner, and gets the win. So you know, Tan actually does have a claim to get a rematch at some point. But you know, the score now is five to two in favour of Jay White over Tan He's now he's got the quadruple crown, and now I believe that uh, if you want, if anybody else wants to get the trip, the quadruple crown. You need to have already have won the Intercontinental title because that's the only way you're going to accomplish it now that that belt's gone. So it'll be a very limited company that Jay White will be kept in because you know you got people like uh, Goto and and that that have been uh, the champion or like Tanahashi. Like if Tanahashi wins the US belt, I think he'll be quadruple crown. Or if Goto can win the US and the heavyweight title, he'll be kind of a quadruple crown. But you know, I don't think. You can become quadruple crown. Uh, you can join that club of being quadruple crown champion, unless you've already been IC champ because that's gone now. Yeah, I mean that's that's. I think a lot of people might debate this sort of like what qualifies you for the quadruple and IC having it, but also some people might argue that if you've not won the old IWGP heavyweight since it was heavyweight and not world heavyweight, people might argue that, which then limits your field down to you could maybe get like. Naito would be a possibility. Um, he would still need to win the open weight in the US. Um, 
Okada. So Naito's been uh, never champion before. So he has. So yep. So um, in that case, Naito would only really need to win the US belt. Yeah. Um, Okada would have to win two belts, though, wouldn't he? I'm remembering. Naito, right. Naito only belt Okada's ever held is the is the world title, so he'd have to think Okada's out. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Actually, yeah, I don't think he did. <laughs> I'm sure there was a plan at some point for him to win AIC title, but they end up changing. I think it was around the time Omega left. If anything, it makes it more special, though, that you know other people might be able to get this kind of similar status to what Jay White's got with doing that, but he can kind of say that he's got the claim as being the most authentic and bona fide one out of them all, which I think is great. Yeah, it's another thing for me to cling on to, you know. With the fact that you know he still says that he's the guy who single-handedly sold out Madison Square Garden and everything like that, I'm still waiting for when G White's going to win the G1. Can they say oh, he's 28 years old? So you got to think, you know, eventually he is going to probably go to somewhere like a WWE. But you know, I think what's he got left to accomplish in New Japan? And you know, I think winning the G1 and you know headlining the Tokyo Dome again as the G1 like briefcase holder uh, is what he's got left to do. But I doubt if he goes in G one as never champion that he'll win it then. So maybe there's always, there's always next year. Wait, wait! I've just thought of something there. We talked about that Bullet Club logo earlier and Impact. What if it's Jay White? I would not. I would not be against that. You know, because you know, <laughs> never title. You know, it's not about weight limits. Neither is the X division. Fuck it. Get Jay White in. Let Jay White win the X division title. Oh Christ! I just realised Evil could actually go into the the quadruple crown champion status as well. Okay, he held the the never title for like a week, didn't he? Yep, and he held both the IC and the old heavyweight belt as well. So he would only need to win the US belt. Oh my there god! <laughs> yeah, it'll be wonder. It'll be interesting to see if anyone actually does ever join a if they ever if they just keep it as Jay White as the first only only ever quadruple crown champion. But Jay is already throwing out challenges because I said he had a challenge for for David Finlay. Because uh, he said, no, it's not over between us. You know, it's still 12 and 2 to me. I can't let you think it's over with you having getting a win over me. So he challenges David Finley to a match for the title. But he already has a second challenger in mind. He's so confident he's going to beat Finley that uh, he's already teasing that he wants to fight Taguchi as well. Honest to God, the thought of Jay White beats Taguchi for the ultimate belt excites me greatly. It could be <laughs> so much banter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like again, now Taguchi's a, a junior, and then like, because whenever else would you see him in a singles match against Jay White without the Never title? So it again shows the value of that belt, and again that's crawling, that's going up the card uh, in terms of placement. The Never title, so I think it would be like one of the highest, one of the, like top matches of Taguchi's career. You know, potentially getting to main event a show for a title against a former IWGP World Champion. So you know, I'm just seeing Taguchi in that position. Uh, I think with everything going a bit thinly about him and some other people struggling against the country with quarantine and that, I think New Japan may be better off just going straight to Taguchi versus Jay White and then just dealing about dealing with Finley v Jay White when they can. Yeah, I think I think we'll need to see what they do because I, I know that Jay White is back in the states. Um, he's been doing a couple of signings apparently um, for some small things, so that would be the only thing that that is. If they're going to get Finlay over, Jay White would probably go back over at the same time. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what way they do it all. Um, but yeah, 
I reckon he'll beat Finlay, make, make the match with Taguchi an absolute banger. Like, big match Taguchi coming out and giving Jay White a run for his money, being the overconfident heel champ could be so mm. much fun. Yeah. Yeah, and also, you know, part of the match being centered around, you know, him constantly hitting Jay White with his arse, and then, you know, Gato gets up on the apron, he gets hit with the, the hip attack, and then obviously Jay White has to take him out by giving him the Bishop Brown and kicking Taguchi up the arse. To take out his greatest weapon. Oh my god! The thought, the thought, the thought of like the hip attack on the apron, like Gedo, eat my arse. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh wait, here comes Jay to deliver the solid kick up the arse. <laughs> but uh, on night two, there wasn't really as much to talk about in terms of future matches because you know we we lost the, the junior right title match. We got some matches kind of rearranged uh, in order, you know. Uh, one of the more random matches I thought we got on the other card was you no know, Master Wall and Tenzan v Yujiro and Ishimori. But, you know, at least Ishimori got to get the win over Wall at the end because uh, we were talking on the best of junior show that we thought he was kind of he kind of slipped down in terms of importance even after he won the the junior heavyweight title. You know, after his original like introduction in Japan. But you know, we're kind of we're he's kind of one of our favourites to win the this year's best of juniors. But then we had in the main event we still still went ahead as planned with having uh, with having Osprey defend the IWGP World Heavyweight title against uh, Shingo Takagi and a match that I'll try to you know be objective going into it because I'd already heard Meltzer gave it six stars called it one of the greatest matches he's ever seen again not a patch I don't think on their their best Super Juniors match but was better than their uh, their New Japan Cup final. That's where I'll, that's where I'll say that. You know, I've never I've not, never officially ranked any of uh, their matches yet, but I think that's a fair placement for it. I think it's going to be one that's going to divide opinions. Um, to me, it was my favourite so far. And Osprey v Shingo, I made a very bold claim to a few of my pals, which was I feel like they became a a modern. Um, well, I say modern, even though there's only like probably four years of difference in the two feuds, but their feud reminds me of Omega and Okada that has been built over the period of pretty much like two years. There's like four big matches. Uh, there's a, some sort of cup match in each of them. There is also title matches in each of them. You know, there's, there's a common kind of thread between them. Um, an arrogant foreign heel... Um, so I, I do feel that there's similarities, and that's why I, I, it resonates big for me, and it's been one of my favourite feuds, um, regardless of what people think about Osprey. The, ma- the match itself, just shy of 45 minutes, was spellbinding. So brutal at points as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, people I think do get bogged down in the, uh, the thing with the best of the match. We've been guilty of it before, you know, comparing one match that somebody's had to, compared to the thing they faced that same person before. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, these two, no matter what your feelings on either of them, you know, personally, uh, they're incapable of having a bad match against each other. And so, you know, it's a marquee match. This could have easily been the Tokyo Dome, like, Grand Slam main event. They wanted it to and still would have delivered. Uh, What was very interesting, you know, with Severin, you know, he had Osprey, you know, using all sorts of shenanigans against uh, Shingo before, you know, he put him through a table. In the previous match, but this time it was you know Shingo Takagi putting him through two tables. You know, he also had a kind of a cut off his back, and uh, you know the way you know he landed, and then he hit another major Japan. It was a major Japan through the table. 
they had another amazing Japan and they came back into the ring. And the way Osprey landed, you know, when you see that and then hearing that Osprey's you know, got a neck injury, you know, I think it's it's spots like that where you kind of pinpoint where exactly he may have got hurt. Yeah, and it's been pointed out um, after that, since Shingo has used the Made in Japan, since he has slightly modified it. Um, there was one that he hit in Taguchi in particular that showed it, and he's modified it a bit, and I think it's on the back of what happened to Osprey mm. um, with the neck injury, although speculation rife about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there was a weird angle on you know, Osprey has had like, neck issues before, but... You know, it's, I think it's to the style that he wrestles in his matches. You know, like I think it was against, may have against Skuro, but you know, then early 2018 where he tried to do a Spanish fly on the uh, the ring apron and he didn't get the full rotation, and he, he had a nasty, you know, landing, and you know, people thought at the time that was him fucked, but he managed to keep going. Uh, but he said there's still speculation about that, but you know, the fact that I think we could tell that Okada was. One of the people being kept off because the fact that Osprey you then know, cuts his promo at the end, but doesn't have any confrontation for Mokata after he's beaten Shingo, uh, was very telling. I'm very curious where Shingo goes from here. Do you think now that Osprey vacated the title, they could have someone like Shingo or someone like Naito step in against Okada? I think based on the way they set it up. Um... As I mentioned earlier today, they've they've kind of set up a six-man tag match um, for the six-man tag titles between the Chaos Boys and Naito, Sonada and Bushi. Um, apparently this is, uh, Naito, as Naito said, is to prevent any jealousy over Shingo going for the world one. I think we're going to get Shingo and Akada at Dominion. Interesting because, you know, it's not really changed on their website what the dates for Dominion as well. So, like, they need to make some sort of announcement, and we're we're you know running the risk here, you know we're doing this midweek on a show that goes out on a Sunday. Look at they're probably going to announce all sorts of shit by the time this goes out. My money's in there being a press conference tomorrow that I didn't realise was happening. Um, and you know it, it's it's weird that everything's kind of like Osprey vacating the title. We've got we we, we did finally get our positive test confirmed because they, they didn't tell us who but the two people that did get it well one confirmed it on bloody commentary on the road to a show <laughs> Tai Chi apparently he just spent his time resting up playing his Playstation 5 <laughs> yeah I heard Desperado as came out and said he, he tested positive as well and uh, Okada was did originally have it but I think he uh, made a return recently on the road too so he seems to be Fully recovered, so hopefully Desperado now will be back soon. Uh, show and you, I think, obviously, they were met a team with Okada they on one of the nights of Duntaku or on the road to shows. I think that match got kind of changed around. So maybe he, Show and you, I think, had to isolate as well. I don't know if they tested positive for it though. So but I think at the moment it's, it's going to be a case of probably Okada's going to be one half of that main event, you know. They could always you not know, take a bushy out of the match with Cobb and you know, postpone that and have a bushy versus Okada, you know. But you know, man, worry if they do do Shingo versus Okada. You know, the whole point of Shingo going first was, you know, I beat you in the New Japan Cup, and you know, Okada's already beaten Shingo in the G1 Climax, so that would really be too much uncertainty for me. You know, going into that thing, you know, it's one-one. Are you gonna have buddy? I'm getting choked out by that fucking money clip again. Or are they going to go? Are they going to just pull the trigger on Shingo? 
Yeah, I mean, I think for me looking at it, it's, it seems like the most re- possible matchup out of them all. Um, Okada's reappearance was only just today as well. It's like, it, like so much has happened on these like kind of like these four road two shows that they just suddenly had back on after originally cancelling them. Um, but it's there's still everything's still vague. We don't have any announcements officially about what's going to happen next, about who's going to be going for the vacated title. They're just saying keep an eye. But it sounds like everything seems to be hinting Dominion is going to be all roads lead to Dominion. Let's face it, we, all, we always know Dominion surprises us every single year without mm-hmm. fail. You know, I think obviously booking the Yokohama Stadium and the Tokyo Dome is not an easy thing to do. They probably were working on that sometime in advance before they announced it originally. And so obviously rescheduling it uh, after everything that's happened is not an easy task because, you know, they had that state of emergency which had forced them to push everything back before an incident they came. They were coming back with their Road 2 shows in Kurgan Hall uh, starting the 22nd through the 26th. And uh, apparently some... Uh, the guys in talent weren't happy about it because you know they got, they all they went home and then they were told oh yeah now we're back so they had to come back but you no know, coming back to Japan isn't isn't so easy because then you got to do your quarantining again and some guys tried to leave but then told they weren't able to leave because uh, like Kevin Kelly while he provided the English commentary for Don Taku he did it in post because he was in his hotel room in Japan because he was meant to be part of the English chart were meant to do live. English commentary for Grand Slam. So you gotta think what well, what's his status? Is he having to go back to the US and then having to come back? Is he worth just staying in the US for rest of Grand Slam just doing his commentary from his home? And uh, no, then there's also the David Finley situation, he's one of the people frustrated about it. Uh and so also you gotta think are they gonna reschedule these shows or just fire on with Dominion and try and do this another time because you know Japan is still keen on you know, using big venues like that for the Olympics, even though some people have said to them, like, we're still not in a place where we're going to host the Olympics right now. So, it's just more questions than anything else at the minute. That's it, and the the, the big the big rumour as well coming out of Japan that Osprey might not be injured. Yeah, because they probably wanted him to stay in Japan for treatment, but he chose to fly home, which may have more to do with why he was stripped of the tail than his injury itself. He's, you know, a neck injury, you know, which uh, is serious enough for them, for them to consider taking the belt off of him. So, you know, it also made me think that, geez, is this new belt cursed or something? Because, you know, Bushy got in and they made the decision, like, okay, now we're going to take it off you. And now the guy we put it on is injured. So, or is he? You know, I don't, I'm wondering what the real circumstances are around this. You know, is, it, is it more just because, you no, know, he's hurt and wants to, you know, Know, go home and get it better, and they what and they had a disagreement, or because there's now also terms of him leaving, going to NXT UK. You know, I don't want to like speculate that he's not hurt, you know, and that he's doing a whole Shawn Michaels I've lost my smile kind of thing. But you know, there's all sorts of possibilities to consider. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have, have mentioned that, that that like this saying that the neck injury, and it, it's not unlike Japan to do kayfabe for people leaving the company they've done it in the past um, for some big names that have went to WWE it's, I think a lot of it is it's, there is nothing but speculation, there's nothing solid to prove any of the rumours about Osprey apparently planning to go to WWE and for all the time that Osprey kept on saying he wouldn't go there um, even if B Priestley is meant to be signing there so it's, it's one of those, it's a big rumour it seems to be getting talked about, I'm taking it with a pinch of salt um, yeah 
I, I, I honestly think he is genuinely injured. Um, as for choosing to go home, well, COVID isn't on its third wave here like it was over there. Um, he's got his families here, his dogs are here, he's got a home here, so it it kind of makes sense for him to come back here if he's if he's going to be out for a long time, which it suggests he is, because there's no time scale given for a return. Yeah. Well, the fact that they announced uh, a series of Road 2 shows with no real official announcement as to what happened with the stadium shows that these Road 2s are meant to lead to uh, shows a real like rush in terms of like, okay, we're abiding by government guidelines, but you know, this really came at a bad time for us and we want to get back to this as soon as, which has led to us contention amongst them and some of their gaijin talent, which is really surprising the way that this has been handled because beforehand we were praising them for handling it better than probably most other promotions around there uh, that were in the world because, you know, like, encouraging fans not to make vocal noise, you know, only running until a certain time and day uh, for their shows shortened down the card. For the most of the New Japan Cup last year, uh, there was no fans. And now all this has happened, you know, I even put in my notes, I've titled the section Total Shitstorm because I think that's <laughs> the best way to describe it. Yeah, I mean, in regards to the positive tests, you know, it could have happened from anywhere. I don't think it's anything on New Japan's part for being irresponsible. It is a case of Japan is going through a third wave. They're behind in the vaccinations and, th- and things like that. And they're, they're, they've kind of been doing rolling states of emergency in different places. So, you know, it's and it's just such a densely populated place. It's just been very unlucky. I've still not heard of anything about fans getting it, so that's a that's a positive at least. So fingers crossed, this is a, a slight speed bump. Um, they seem to have ramped up the procedures. They did put out an updated protocol, which seems to be even tighter. So we can only hope that this is the last kind of setback that we see in Japan for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can hope so, and hopefully we'll have something more concrete to talk about in terms of what's going on uh, over there. Uh, by the time we get to our next episode, uh, whether it's just the case of just going ahead to Dominion or whatever it is they choose to do, because we're getting to the point where usually we would have the G1, but then we need to wonder if they're going to reschedule Grand Slam, do they push back the G1, were they going to have it in the summer, or were they just always going to do it in the autumn, where it's like they did last year. So, you know, this, this is usually a, a peak time for New Japan, like with everything just being all go. Like I said, for them, it, this has come at the worst possible time. And with Osprey, you know, even though they finally pulled the trigger of putting the belt on him, which they apparently wanted to do last year, you know, you got to wonder if he does officially, you know, after B preseason left, where does that leave Finari, Okan, and Jeff Cobb? Yeah, that's it. There's there's so many things like that, that are going to be up in the air with all this, and we don't have anything concrete. I, I think the G1 is going to be back um, later in the year again because. The Olympics is still kind of apparently meant to be going ahead, and if the Olympics go ahead, that's going to definitely delay the G1. Um, so I'm, I'm honestly not going to be surprised if we end up with another um, kind of like hectic, like August through December again, where we're just rammed with events. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wouldn't mind that personally. No, especially now that we're things seem a bit starting to get a bit quiet now. Uh, I'm sure they'll have some like smaller shows. Uh, in the summer, which because I think they were planning a tour in July, uh, twenty twenty, before that ended up getting changed after the COVID and everything was shut down because of COVID. Because they said when the the Olympic go ahead, they were going to have this 
tour in July of 2020 where they went around some smaller towns that didn't usually get New Japan shows and also that were places where they weren't planning on running in the Olympics so you know they, they'll have ways to, to work around it you know what I'm not I've kind of went back and forth on the Empire as a faction but, you know I'd feel bad for Lisa Kov and Hanari you know after everything they know they've invested in this uh, I'm kind of mixed feelings on Okan but the thing is with these three is you need to add somebody else into that group of Osprey leads because as good as Cobb is and everything, I don't buy any any of those three as the new leaders after Osprey goes. Yeah, there definitely there's there is a vacuum there and it needs to be filled with someone with an appropriate amount of charisma mm-hmm. to to take to take over because that's the one thing Osprey did have not only the in ring talent but he had the the charisma to um, mm-hmm. to back it up. Yeah, and like maybe maybe they should just rebrand. If he did leave, they should just rebrand it as something completely different. Uh, everything because like you know the whole thing of being a united empire, I think, and then that tied into you know all three renaming themselves and the Commonwealth Kingpin and all that. You know, like, as good as these guys are, you know they're they're followers, they're not leaders, unfortunately. So there's going to be huge changes considered for that group. But you know we can ask questions of what's going to happen till we're blue in the face we just have to wait and see but that is everything that's been going on in the realm of new japan pro wrestling hectic as always i don't think we'd have it any other way uh but until next time until until next time where we until next time and where we hopefully have more announcements hopefully we're at least about to we should be on the road to either dominion or grand slam uh, by the time we come back to you uh, I thank Grammy Robert for joining me for a, a hectic show as always. It's been a pleasure getting back into the saddle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's all this stuff to talk about, but yet we still find the time to talk about like wrestling moves named after fucking TV shows. <laughs> oh, honestly, we could actually do a whole bloody show on that. Probably It'd be a good laugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we'll wait and see what happens if they if they have to stop running shows again. If there's a quiet month, we'll. We'll pencil that in. But as I said at the top of the show, eat, sleep, 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 retreat uh, on all good Android podcasting sites for past episodes and all our other content to our future shows in Central and at Sleep, Retreat, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram to keep up with all the latest goings on in the realm of ASSR. But uh, until next time, I've been Scott McLeod and I'll just say goodbye, everyone. Mind. Bishop Leonard Brennan. <laughs>